you don't need to know everything about all the jobs you go into. Just know enough about what you know in order to make it your own. I'm in a different field than what I studied. Gave me the base and the foundation of everything that I did, but I would have never thought in my early 30s I would have been running a company. Welcome to the Business Class Podcast, where we dive into conversations with alumni, students, faculty, and staff from the University of Dayton School of Business Administration. You'll hear career advice, conversations about ethical decision-making in business, and listen to stories from life on the UD campus. Here's your host, Dean Trevor Collier. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Business Class Podcast. I'm your host and Dean of the School of Business at UD, Trevor Collier. Today, I'll be joined by 1985 UD School of Business graduate, Lisa Rich Milan. Lisa has served in leadership roles in a number of different healthcare companies uh, with focus on industries in pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, diagnostics, and generics slash biosimilars, uh, including most recently as the CEO of Caligore Coglin Pharma Services. Thanks for joining me today, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'd like to start our conversation with your time at UD and and work our way forward uh, to your most recent work experiences. Uh, So Lisa, could you give us uh, some background on on what drew you to enroll at at UD? Yes. Well, I knew I wanted to be in business and I knew that finance was the foundation of everything that I wanted to study. And so I began looking at schools that were strong business schools back in the 80s. University of Dayton was strong in engineering and also their school of business. And so what I really and what drew me to the campus, number one, was the academics of the school. Uh, What I didn't realize at the time is that it had a religious foundation as well. And I came up through a Catholic school system. So um, to my surprise, I realized when I realized there was a foundation there, um, that drew me closer to the decision with UD. And when I absolutely came to visit the campus and met the faculty and met the students, um, really that solidified it for me. And where where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school? Um, I went to high school at DeSales, St. Francis DeSales High School in Columbus, Ohio. So I actually grew up in Westerville, Ohio. Um, I was born in Washington, D.C. and my father was a major and a Green Beret in, in, in the military, in the Army. And we moved uh, from the East Coast, from DC to Columbus, Ohio when I was eight. And so actually I've been a Buckeye most of my life, but I chose not to go to Ohio State. I chose to come to UD and I go flyer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so what was, what was, how was your experience as a black woman at the University of Dayton back in the 80s? Yes. So, you know, I've heard many stories around me, but I personally, I really enjoyed University of Dayton. And I'll tell you why. The foundation at that time was very much set for us to come in. Actually, I think that year, our, our diversity count was all the way up to about 20, 25% that year coming in. And so when I first stepped on campus after um, getting settled in Marycrest, my first meeting on my first day was to go to the Bat. We called it the Batu Lounge back then. Batu stands for Black Action Through Unity. It is the Black Student Union and serves as a representative voice for all Black students at the University of Dayton. And uh, when I went to the Batu Lounge, I met freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. But the juniors and seniors were not only part of Batu, but they were also mentors. So we received 
many mentors that day. We talked to a lot of upperclassmen that day, people that look like us, but those that did not look like us. Yeah. But we're generally very interested in understand how can we make your college life successful? How can we transition you from high school into college? And then how can we make sure that as you um, grow in your years, as you progress at University of Dayton, come to us with those questions. The other piece that was very important for me was to see culture, to see are there things that support uh, my cultural beliefs and backgrounds along with the academics. The um, historically uh, black college sororities and fraternities were very strong here at that time. Uh, there were alphas on the line, there were uh, kappas, there were sigmas. Uh, we had um, alpha kappa alpha, we had delta sigma theta, we had a very strong fraternity and sorority life. So along with the mentors that I received academically and through Batu, I also had people that came up to me and actually wanted to be mentors and befriend and befriended, befriended me on the first day. It was me and now my lifelong best friend, Jody, um, who is uh, the godmother of my daughter that I met on day one. And, awesome. we both, and we both were approached on day one. And, and I'll tell you, we're best friends with them to this day um, by Lori Strayhorn and, and um, India Huger. They, they greeted us at KU. When we walked out the door at KU, they were right there and they came up and introduced themselves. And we still get together to this day. So having the mentoring uh, background and foundation, having uh, programs that I could relate to um, and people who look like me that cared if I was successful or not. And then um, upperclassmen that came willingly and proactively to introduce themselves and actually kept us out of what I call harm's way. What we didn't know, we thought we knew everything coming in as freshmen, let me tell you that, but we really did not know a lot. <laughs> and, and that was quick to be, to, to be understood. And so that's where the upperclassmen came in and really helped to assist with that. And then um, Boyer Freeman was, I believe, a junior or a senior at that time, and he was in the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. My father is a lifetime member of Alpha, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. So he actually found the house, went to the house, met not only Boyer, but also at that time, uh, John Kendall, and said, you see this girl right here? I need you to take care of her. <laughs> and, and now you can imagine my face being all red about that time, yeah. Yeah. you know, being a, a freshman and a new person on campus. And my father is going to the fraternity house telling them to watch me. Um, but that's how it started. And that's what really gave me the foundation. And that's why my four years at UD were the best four years of my life. I look back on it and it was fun. It was exciting. And we have a great time. I, when I come back to the reunions, we talk about all those things that we used to do back then. Um, but that's, that's, that's what, how, what my experience was at UD. Well, that's great. Academically awesome. It was, academically, it was awesome. I think good, good mentors are, are valuable in life, but also really valuable. At, you know, you've got four years in school. If, if your first year, you've got a great mentor, it sets the stage for you. Did you yes. say you were friends with India Huger in college? Yes. Yes, and she lives in UPS, and she lives in Dayton, and she works for Right Pat. Yes, I am. She was a student of mine in the MBA program. Oh, yeah. No, very, very close to her. Oh, um, and she and Lori, I meant day one, we met them, and they were by our side all the way through college, all the way through college. And so, really, you know, when the tough times hit or you don't know what class you need to take, 
um, or you don't know what professor, you know, that you're, you're not sure about something, you ask the upperclassmen. And if they're in your major and they've been able to go through and get through successfully, they're the ones that could guide you through it. Or if you're struggling, then they're going to tell you, okay, this is what you need to do. This is how you can think about it. Uh, here are some options. Um, that's really what I would say got me through those four years as well. That's fantastic. How, how do you think the experience of, of students today, you know, is, is similar or different from the experience you had uh, back in the 80s? I, I think it's a little bit different in that um, when I graduated from UD, I felt like I was prepared for corporate life. Uh, my degree was uh, in business with a major in accounting. Uh, accounting is the foundation and the key to everything in business. What I didn't know is how far it could take me with a strong finance background and the different avenues and careers that I could choose where, where knowing the numbers was the base of everything, including running a company. So when I came out of UD, so first of all, the career center and doing a preceptorship, that was a must. It wasn't an option. We knew coming in that we needed to do a preceptorship before we graduated. We also knew that we needed to tap into the uh, Career Center at University of Dayton so that we would start interviewing, know how to prepare, know how to build a resume, and then have companies that were interviewing us and really have a job coming out. I had, a, I had actually three offers when I came out of UD. I had one from Mee Johnson, which eventually became Bristol-Myers Squibb. I had one from Arthur Anderson at the time, which was an accounting firm. And I had one from Procter & Gamble out of Cincinnati. Three very strong companies yeah, looking absolutely. for strong talent. And um, I would say today, if I compare that, we have a lot of students that, you know, there's the, the bright, the, the small percentage of the, the bright, the smart, they're going to be proactive in whatever they do, and they're going to be successful. But we have a, a group of students, which is the majority, that aren't quite sure, well, if I study accounting or I study finance, then I can only go and be an accountant, or I can only go this track in life. And I think what is important is for them to get exposure to people who are in business that come from the business school with different backgrounds like marketing, sales, accounting. And you'll find that a lot of us have crossed over into multiple careers with multiple backgrounds. And I think right now we're dealing with students that aren't quite sure what their, their full potential is and options are? And then number two, are you ready to go into the corporate world? I would say that's the second area that I think has changed a bit from back in the 80s when we knew exactly what we wanted to do, where we wanted to go and how to do it. Yeah, yeah, we have we have a lot more students that come in today and in a major we call discover business, which is basically saying I want to major in business, but I'm undecided as to which of the the, the final majors I want to end up with. And, and it's, it's a good, it's a good process. It helps them sort of get to know what the different majors are and what their, what their options will be coming out with, with those different majors. Um, but and we're, we're working on tweaking our curriculum a little bit more to, to help that at that exploration process. So, mm -hmm. so the students know what, what they can do with, with certain majors. And, and it's a, uh, you know, it's a, I think we put a lot more pressure on, on, students coming out of high school today that you, you've got to know where you're going and, and the students are, they don't want to make a mistake. Right. And, right. and so my advice to them is always just pick one, right. You're not going to know if you like it until you try it out. That's right. Well, try well, it out and it doesn't work. Hey, that's yeah. good information. You figured out something 
and now you can you can pivot and, and go in a different direction. And, and if you can figure that out in college, that's mm-hmm. great. But even if you don't figure that out till after college, a lot of people end up in an industry different than the major that they had in college. And that's okay as well. Trevor, you hit the nail on the head because actually I'm in a different field than what I studied. Right. And it gave me the base and the foundation of everything that I did, but I would have never thought in my early 30s I would have been running a company. And so it it leads you, your your degrees lead you to other things, but it's okay to make mistakes because if you don't make mistakes, you don't learn and you don't grow from that and you don't understand where you need to go. But right now in this world, it's much more, it was competitive back in the 80s, but now we have a lot of competition and a lot of great students coming out of very strong schools that if you aren't sure what it is you want to do, or you don't know enough about the the career you want to take when you first come out of college, that can be a hindrance to you versus then versus helping you. And so you really need to understand the options that you have. Absolutely. And and I want to I want to get into your your career and, and and how things kind of ebbed and flowed, but but I want to I want to talk a little bit more about your time on campus. So you were you were just back with us uh Two months ago for the, mm-hmm. the Business Advisory Council. Yes. What what on campus, what looks different? What are the new additions that that are most appealing to you? And maybe what do you miss about the old campus? Yeah. So um, my first year I lived in Marycrest. Second year lived in Marycrest, but in a single room. But then upperclassmen, I lived in the garden apartments. So I actually kind of moved off campus, not really, <laughs> but kind of felt like I was on my own. Um, but so having, first of all, the campus has really almost doubled. It's, you know, where some of the buildings are located is where the old NCR building used to be. Right. Um, and so from a technology perspective, University of Dayton has really blown up in that area, uh, along with your graduate program. So yes, it has almost tripled in size than from the smaller uh, campus that we used to have. Um, I would say that when I take a look at um, what I what I what I see about the university that that is different is that um, when I came back this year, I was concerned. So I did have the opportunity to come back for three years to work back in the Miami Valley area. And what I saw was uh, a lack of diversity occurring at University of Dayton. Um, as a business person coming in looking for talent, because I look at talent, not, ju- not and diversity is everything. It's not just color. It is male to female. It is diversity in thought. It is diversity in, in experience. Um, people thinking differently from an, a way in which we would normally do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what diversity means in the business world. Um, and then different cultures bring different values. And, and when you're in healthcare, experience and how you would approach a certain disease state is different by culture. So you need to understand that. So for me coming back two months ago, I actually saw more cultures, more diversity. And what I was really proud about that never would have happened in 1980 was to have the Panhellenic sorority and fraternity pillars put in the center of the, of the union of the University of Dayton, visible upfront and beautiful. You had from our presidents to our regional leaders, to the undergraduate chapters, to everyone just there together. Um, all, everyone was proud. Everyone was proud, not only of Dr. Spina, 
but that the university recognized diversity. I would say in 1980s, if it had not been for the diversity and the culture of the students that were there in the upperclassmen counts and the large number that came in, when I came in in 1981, um, I would say I would have probably gotten lost in a shuffle because the people that I stay in contact now with are the diverse people that I met in college. That was my network. That was my strength. That was who got me through the tough times. And um, that is important when students come on now is to be able to see that and see a part of them somewhere along the campus, whether it's through faculties, through the friends they make, or the visual things that you have on campus. There was nothing like that back in the day. So my two, coming back for not only the, um, the advisory council to make a difference, because along with a successful career comes responsibility. And your responsibility is to pay the way forward for others that want to come your pathway or are not quite sure and need help, or even just need to know how to build a resume. And so we have a responsibility to come back and do that. And so when I was asked to uh, ask and then selected to be a part of the Business Advisory Council, I was very excited. I was, I was humbled because there was a lot of work to do, but I was also excited because that's where we can focus in on the student and the university and guide how it needs to move in the future for better success because the world is diverse. Well, I remember the first time I heard you talk, was at, at uh, an alumni voices event in, in the spring of, of last year that I was just attending to, to listen and learn from, from our alumni and, and, and current, current students uh, from different backgrounds and what their experiences were like. And, and I was uh, really impressed uh, to, to hear your, your story and, and your passion for UD. And, and that's what uh, uh, led to us uh, reaching out and, and, and trying to recruit you to be on the BAC. So we're really excited that you, the BAC is the Business Advisory Council, but so we're really excited to, to have, you, have you with us. Yeah, so we keep, uh, we keep spinning off in different directions here with this conversation, but that's fantastic. Yeah, sorry, um, there's just so much to tell. I love it, I, I love it. You know, it's so much to tell. It, it's funny because when I, I hear, I do ask people sometimes, you know, what do you think about your experience? I did when I came back for the reunion as well, because the reunion was before the BAC meeting, the Business Advisory Council meeting. So I had a chance to interact with current students, graduate students, and people I went to school with. And it was interesting when I was hearing, even when I talked to my sorority sisters, um, and and I'm talking to them, some of them had great experiences, some of them remember bad times. And so, and, and for me, I didn't have a lot of bad times. Um, and, but it was because of the people who had gone through it before and made it, uh, made it possible that those bad times did not exist or knew how to get us through it. So speaking of good times, do you have a, a good story <laughs> from your time at UD? And remember, this is a public audience here. <laughs> Okay, well, you see, the, the question was, can I, can I talk about it? So, <laughs> so you know, they're all, all things that you, I, I always tell, it's just like I told my daughter when she was in college, you know, these are the best years of your life because you'll never get them back. And you're free to do whatever you, to, you whatever you want to do up to a point. Yeah. <laughs> that's responsible. For that reason. Yeah, that's right. So um, I pledged a sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority uh, Incorporated. So my most memorable time was during that pledge period um, because you've got to maintain. So 
it's one thing to go to school and maintain academically what you need to do, but to be a, a what we call a well-rounded person in the business world, you have to have outside activities and curriculum activities. Right. We, we look at grades, but we also look at, well, what else did you do? Um, and, and what did you give back to the community? And so through the sorority that I pledged, and, I, and, and my favorite place was 222 Key Favor. <laughs> that was the street that we were on all the time. And that was when I came back on campus, actually drove that way, which that whole area has changed quite a bit. Um, I remember the parties. I remember just the fun that we had. Does that house but still exist? That house still exists, but it belongs to another organization now. Okay. Yeah. But Alpha Kappa Alpha does have another house now, which we had a chance to meet the undergraduates and go there during the reunion. Um, so very proud to see all of the fraternities and sororities still active. The yeah. students are still out there having a good time. And it was great. Um, but I would say that um, also... Through that experience, I was able to do service projects and I was able to learn more about the community of, of not only University of Dayton, but beyond University of Dayton. Through uh, joining the sorority, I was able to get lifelong mentors and very dear friends that are very close to me now. Um, we meet as, an, as a group, as Epsilon Chi, we come together in, in going on trips and checking in with each other almost, well, first of all, we have a distribution where we're talking all the time and we're getting, we're texting all the time, but we take a trip. We had just gone to Aruba in September, right before the reunion occurred. And that is to, you know, life when you're raising kids and you grow up and you have a job, it takes you away from the people who are the dearest to you and that you yeah. really bond with. And so we've all gone through our life and we've all gone through whether it's health issues or deaths in our family, COVID is, is a challenge within itself. And we felt that it was necessary to come back together, but those relationships and the woman, not just the leader that I am, but the woman that I am was because of going through that process with Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we've got a, a lot of great student organizations and, Oftentimes, that's sort of the affinity students have when they come back to UD is, is through some organization, and and often that's it's it's helped them even get their first job. Um, yes. Maybe yes. maybe it's training to the organization, or maybe it's networking through through the alumni network of of that organization, which is which right. is awesome. Right. So when you think back of your your time at UD, are there any professors or any courses that, that stick out that that had a profound impact on on your life? Well, it was accounting and finance, not one particular. Well, there there was a um, uh, one professor, Dr. Wright. I don't I don't I know that he's no longer there. He actually retired. But Dr. Wright, I believe, was not only a professor, but an associate dean. He was over economics. Okay. Um, he was very powerful to me um, and, and very much someone who reached out to me and worked with me because I'll tell you, I struggled with economics. I <laughs> I had to drop it the first, now. So for, for real students. If there's a class that is hard for you and you, you think you can't get through it, even through tutoring, you can drop it and take it again. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so, You may not want that on the tape, but I think that's <laughs> a pearl of wisdom there. But actually, he, he and his daughter at that time, Vicki Wright, were um, actually very good at economics. And they came forward because I was struggling. He offered up his daughter to help me, who was very strong in economics, to help me get through that class and to understand it so that I could graduate because it was a, 
it was the one of the second or third economic classes, and it was a requirement to finish that one junior year in order to graduate. It ended up having to be my first semester a senior year because I had to drop it. But uh, Dr. Wright and the economics area was something that really helped me when I was struggling. But I would say my best classes were the numbers. It was accounting, it was finance. Um, and I did take one class that was on film, believe it or not. So totally, totally out of the major. And um, to this day, I can tell you what the primary plot is and the secondary plot is because I took that class. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, I think there, there's a good there's there's two good lessons in there. There's one for, for our current students. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. Yeah. There's classes that, that that come natural to us and there's classes that don't come natural to us. And, and if you need help, please reach out and reach out and find it, uh, you know, especially today in, in the covid world. You know, people are people are struggling and, and they need to know that it's, it's OK to ask for help. Everybody, everybody needs help every once in a while. And then, and then second, I think it is important, you know, this is something we, we preach at UD to be very well-rounded, yes. right? So we're educating the whole person. And, and for me, the, the class, you know, for you as a film class, the class I remember outside of my major was glass blowing. <laughs> at my school, we, we had, for some reason, I went to a small school in Kentucky, but we had a world-renowned glass blower. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I took a class there. I, I did terrible in the class. Uh, I'm not artistic at all. But I learned, I learned a lot and I, and I really enjoyed it. in that class. What's wrong there? There's got <laughs> to be a creative side there. <laughs> I, I, I got a C in that class, if I remember correctly. Uh, if it was, I was very disappointed in my grade, but I, did really, I still enjoyed the class. I, I learned a lot from it. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. So we, we've gone through most of your time here at UD and you, you alluded to earlier uh, your your three job offers after graduation. Wh which one did you take? What what was your role? What was your experience like in that in that role? Yes, so I ended up going with Me Johnson Pharmaceuticals, which was my leeway into healthcare as a budget accountant. So I truly started in an accounting role in a major corporation publicly held. Um, I didn't go with Arthur Anderson because it would have limited me to a certain industry or consulting industry, which I could have been a partner if I had been there, but you right. know that wasn't the choice I made. And then Procter & Gamble was not healthcare. Um, after interviewing with all three companies, and I did get offers from all three companies, um, Mead Johnson, which evolved into Bristol-Myers Squibb, um, was the company that I chose because of the finance team, because of the industry itself and because of the company. And I had done one preceptorship, actually two, because they had asked me to come back another semester um, in accounting. And, I, and again, I started in budget accounting, but once I got into the corporate world, I realized that may not be all that I have to give. And that's where the, the career then began to escalate in other areas. Um, but I do wanna go back to one other thing that you said, and I don't want the students to underestimate mentors and being proactive in finding help and resources that you need. The only way you're going to be successful is not people pulling you along that would that will help, but you have to be proactive in identifying when you're struggling, when you need help, and to go and find the help that you need because you are your best advocate. And that is the best advice I can give you. Same thing with finding a career. You have to network. You have to partner with people that are have been where you may want to go because you may find out that once you're in it, 
There may be something better you might want to do. Or one of the people that I actually did budgets for is the one that branched me off into another part of my career that I never even thought about. And it was based on just his interactions with me doing his budget as a vice president of sales. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's their responsibility to take control of their career, but there's people out there to help you. Right. And, right. and so you reach out, particularly UD alumni, UD alumni are so willing to give mm-hmm. back and, and meet with students and, and yes. share advice and network to help them find jobs. So if you're a current student right now, take advantage of that network of, of alumni, of alumni, excuse me. Right. And, and old professors, because they're great too. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if I if I read your, your resume correctly, Lisa, you had about 20 years at, mm-hmm. at what became Bristol Myers Squibb. Correct. Uh, how, and, and then you left. How difficult was it to leave Bristol and head to, I think you went to UCB Pharma after that? Correct. So for me, there comes a time. So I went immediately into what they call big pharmaceuticals one of the top 10 pharmaceutical companies in the world. Bristol-Myers Squibb is very well known. It was Mee Johnson, then uh, Bristol-Myers when we merged with Bristol Laboratories. And then the third merger was with the Bristol-Myers Squibb side. So it was Squibb, Bristol-Myers, and then Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, You get your foundation. I would say the leadership from a business perspective and who I am as a leader and the philosophies that I have and the mentors that have been my mentors for 20, 20, 25 plus years came from Bristol-Myers Squibb. And then I gained some more as I went through my career. Um, Why I left Bristol-Myers Squibb is because I had came in with finance. Within two years, I had spoke to one of the vice presidents of sales. And he said, Lisa, why you're not the typical finance person. Now, I don't know what the typical finance person was in his mind at the time. I kind of chuckled when I heard that. But he said, I see you on our side. I see you in sales. And I said, well, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a doctor. I don't have that background. He said, you have the technical ability. If you can work with numbers and you have a technical ability to understand numbers, you will be successful in business in different parts. What caught my attention in sales is I was doing their bonus plans and their bonus plans that I was paying checks for were just as big as my base salary of $24,000 back in 1985. And for many of you now, $24,000 probably sounds like I was in poverty, but $24,000 back in 1985 when you graduated was was like $75,000 now. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. And so, but there were salespeople getting paid that amount in one one fair swoop. And so I said, what what is this? And what is it that they do? And so that vice president took me under his wing. His name was John Johnson, uh, John R. Johnson, believe it or not, out of Evansville, Indiana. And he said, let me show you our world. And after he showed it to me, I said, I think I can do that. And then I was relocated. He said, are you relocatable? And I was. And I was the first employee that ever went from accounting, the accounting group, into a sales role that had never been done before that's, at the company. That's pretty unique. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's two different things. And so, but because I had a finance background, 
I was able to assess my tools, my sales tools, understand where the business opportunities were, understand where the volume of sales were coming from, understand where the opportunities from a financial perspective looked like. Then all I needed to do was spend 80% of my time and 20% of my territory. And that's what made me successful. But in finance, you're able to evaluate and look at those reports on, in a, on a very different level than most salespeople. Yeah. And so then from that point, um, my district manager said, oh, you can do much more than this. And, and your, your base of business helps you do that. We want to develop you into a district manager. So I went from being a budget accountant to a pharmaceutical sales rep, not a nutritional sales rep. I, I even downplayed myself there. I said to John, oh, I'll go to the, I'll sell baby formula. He said, no, you won't. He said, you've got a technical aptability. You're going to go sell anti-infectives, cardiovascular and hospital IV drugs. And I looked at him and I was like, I'm going to do what? <laughs> wow. You know, and, and there's hesitation, but let me say this to, to every student. You don't need to know everything about all the jobs you go into. Just know enough about what you know in order to make it your own. I, most of the jobs that I ever took, I knew about 70% of the, the job and what it was going to entail. And the rest of it was learning and applying the skill sets that I had to be successful. So went from a sales rep to a um, regional trainer. Then I had two opportunities to take on a district manager role. I went to, um, I had the ability to relocate with the company again to go to St. Louis, Missouri. From St. Louis, I was promoted into uh, managed care. Managed care started up. Okay, so this led my managed care track. So then it became payers. You know, who's United Healthcare? Who's Aetna? Who's uh, Walgreens? Who's CVS? Um, what's long-term care? What's, you know, what, what is retail? And so I was one of the original people selected to go into the group with Bristol-Myers Squibb to start the payer organization of Bristol-Myers Squibb. I moved up in the ranks. I became um, from there, from um, having that experience, got promoted to a director in, on the payer side. Then the president of Bristol-Myers Squibb saw me in a presentation, had a big win with one of the payers, brought me back over as a region sales director, where I was in the um, Southeast again and led over 160 representatives and district managers. We went from 15th in the country out of 16 regions to number four. So two thirds of my region went on a pinnacle trip based on that leadership. That as a director, that's where I learned strategic planning, how to build out SWATs, how to determine what directions and how to implement flawlessly on a strategic business plan. Knowing the numbers helped me to forecast. Um, I learned how to hire good people. I learned how to develop people. And from that role then was promoted to a vice president and went back over to the payer side. So, and, and then throughout that time had exposure to marketing. So one of my mentors is still my mentor today. She was head of a, a marketing platform with uh, Avapro and and um, Avalide, we were launching um, a product for hypertension. And that's where I became a leader from the sales side, working with marketing on product launches, understanding how a molecule goes from innovative innovation to an actual drug that you launch out in the market, and then how you go to market commercially with a pharmaceutical company. 
But once I became a vice president, the reason I ended up leaving, I started getting when you're good, you have you're visible, and other companies began to notice you. And so I was being noticed by Merck, Johnson and Johnson, UCB was another one. Um, however, I felt that and, and I did get offers from them. And then my company countered, they countered and did not want me to go. And so then eventually, I said, I'd like to go because I had no international experience and I had no operations experience. And what UCB offered me was it was a smaller company. It was more nimble than a big pharma company. And I was able to build an entire infrastructure for payer, commercial payer teams that did not exist within that company. And once a month, I flew over to Belgium and learned global payer systems and working with colleagues globally over in, in Brussels. And so that gave me my first entree into the international side. Um, I was with- Lisa, can I interrupt you real quick? For, for our audience, can you, can you tell a little bit more what, what you mean when you say payer? Yes, so the payers are the people that pay your insurance bills. So when you go to the doctors, when you go to a hospital, when you go to a clinic, they, you are under some sort of, right now as students, you're under your parents, what we call healthcare plan. And that could be United Healthcare, that could be uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia, um, that could be um, Aetna, it could be Cigna, but there's a card that you have that you show every time you go to the doctor's office, they wanna see your medical card. The insurance companies are the ones that pay the majority of your medical bill. And that's why you only pay 10, 15, $25 for a doctor's visit. Those are called insurance companies. And as pharmaceutical companies, we negotiate with payers to gain access to what we call their formulary so that you can have access to the drugs you need when you get sick with a cold or if someone needs care in cancer, or if someone um, you know, is sick and has to go into the hospital and needs an infectious disease specialist to come, our drugs are the things that you get put on to make you healthy and to be um, back as a productive student or employer, employee. Right, and, and so for, for many of our students, th their experience with this is probably you know, going to a pharmacy, right? And, and mm -hmm. they're paying, you know, 10, 20 bucks for something that really costs a couple hundred and their, their insurance company is, is covering that dis, that difference, right? As, as the, that as the is payer. Correct. But a retailer is also considered a payer um, because a retailer is a payer from a different perspective. So there are reimbursement things that come with a, with a retailer as well. So uh, payers like United Aetna, Big Pharma, um, we often go to a CVS, a Walgreens, a Reeds on the East Coast, um, and we negotiate contracts so that we have access to their pharmacies as well. Or if we have what we call consumer products like hair and soap, which would have been Procter & Gamble if I had gone with them, we would negotiate with retailers or chains or grocery store chains like a Kroger um, or, or you know, some of the other high-end grocery stores so we could get our products on the shelves for you to buy. Awesome. Thank you for that. Sorry for the, sorry for the interruption. No, that's okay. And, and what I think is really neat about your story is when I, when I talk to other alumni who, who are, who are in, you know, C-level roles like, like yours and you, you say, what, what prepared you for this? They often talk about the breadth of their, their different roles. And many of them started that in, in some sort of management trainee position, right? Where they, 
they rotate every six months or every year into different roles. So they get to see a, a breadth of, of the company, but you sort of did that on your own, right? You, you weren't in a training program. You just sort of moved maybe mm-hmm. at the beginning a little bit uh, unintentionally, but it sounds like at the end, very intentionally yes. to, to prepare yourself, right? Yes. And, and there are, uh, the other piece of advice is don't be afraid to make lateral moves. Um, I think our millennials um, and the next generation that comes out, um, first of all, more education is required because where you lack experience, the masters or the doctorates will give you that piece, but you still have to have to have the practical experience as well, because right. we don't want to hire someone that doesn't have experience or doesn't know how to gain the experience. But most often with those degrees, there's what I call a preconceived notion of an expectation of, oh, I should go right into a director or vice president role right away because I have my uh, PhD or my MD or my master's degree. Not necessarily. And there are times when I was a vice president that I stepped back to a national sales director or the director role to get industry experience before I moved on to my next. And an example of that was when I worked for Synthon Pharmaceuticals as my as a GM of North America, that is a CEO role. I was the CEO of all of the United States. There were 16 globally that ran different countries. And so when they closed their doors uh, because their pipeline went away, um, I was recruited back into Big Pharma at Roche I took a step back because I had no diagnostics experience. By that time, I had marketing, I had sales, I had finance, I had operations. So what is it, every role that I wanted to take, what is it that I I knew that the skills that I could bring to that company, but I still needed to be interested in the role. So what was going to keep me interested? Well, here I had an opportunity to learn diagnostics. Diagnostics are... Every time you get your your arm, uh, a needle goes into your arm to draw blood by what we call a phlebotomist, that is diagnostics. They're pulling out your blood or when you go and, and, and what we call pee in a cup. <laughs> so you go to take a urine specimen to at a doctor's office. That is a diagnostic tool. Um, when we take a stool specimen or when um, in breast cancer, when a potential uh, person has breast cancer, we have to do a biopsy and that's called a tissue diagnostic where that tissue specimen is coming in for diagnostic testing. So it could be tissue, it could be blood, it could be urine, it could be stool. Um, it could be a nasal swab. That is also, you know, we've learned a lot about nasal swabs yes. with PCR with COVID. More than that's, we called, to. that's right. That's called diagnostics. And diagnostics is the point of entry when you're sick. It is the first thing they do. You get some kind of test so that a physician or whoever is seeing you, a nurse or a physician practitioner can understand exactly what is wrong with you before they can prescribe any type of medication. Then they come back and may have you take another test to see if the medication that they gave you worked. All of that is diagnostics. That's the world of diagnostics. It's blown up with COVID because the COVID vaccines all fall under diagnostics. Um, That move to Roche as a director led me to a CEO role with Quest Diagnostics in one of their eight regional labs. So Quest was looking for someone that had pharma, biotech, 
had owned what we call a profit and loss statement. So let's take it back to my accounting major. If I had not had finance and I had not trained in accounting, it would have been much harder for me to understand what we call a profit and loss statement. Profit and loss statements and balance sheets are the way in which we financially run a company, every company. And in order to be a vice president or an executive vice president or a um, CEO or a general manager of any company, you have to know your finances. You become less of an individual contributor to more of a leader and strategically understanding financially what you need to do with the business, what do the numbers and the trends tell you are happening and what's happening outside of your company to run it. And so that again is where finance is strong. And so Quest was looking for that person that had PL experience, had pharma and some diagnostics. So I was only at Roche for three years before someone else came knocking at the door for me to move into my next position. Did I ever think I would have ever taken this path? I thought I was going to be a CPA (laughs) and a partner somewhere. Um, I never thought I would be a CEO or a general manager or a U.S. president with three different companies. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And, and it's, I, it's a great story for our students to, to know about, right? That you, you may not end up where you, where you thought you were going to go, but you ended up in a pretty fantastic place. Yeah. So as you think about, right, your, your sort of three, three CEO roles, um, yeah. how did UD's Marianist charism or, or, or the ethical education that we taught, how did that help you through yeah. difficult decisions you faced as a corporate leader? Well, as a corporate leader, you're successful by leading through people. Um, uh, Some people think it's about telling them what to do. You get more from your people, uh, what we call a high performing team, when you are a servant leader. And we learn as Christians, we learn at, at a religious base that people and the way you treat them and the way you develop them and the way you care about them you will get more mileage from leading that way than you would telling them what to do. You know, set your expectations, um, show them how to do it and get out of their way and make sure that you remove the barriers that they have so that they can be effective in what they do. And of course, you're going to oversee and you're going to make sure that things get done. But what this college and what being a Christian has done, it has made me what I call a servant leader. And a great book, there's a book called The Servant Leader. That is an excellent book that you should try to get if you ever want to get, if your sites are, my site when I first graduated from college was, oh, I want to be a vice president someday. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would be a CEO for three different companies in three different industries, generic biosimilars, diagnostics, um, and then um, uh, my third one was in pharma services. Most recently, is is there anything else you wanna you wanna share with with uh, our audience today, or any questions you have for me? No, I would say just go forth and be awesome. UD is going into the right direction. We have powerful leaders that are on the um, business advisory councils. We are there to help to understand the direction in which the the university is going. They are very willing to partner with us to understand what is it that this world needs uh, in whatever industry that we're in. So we can develop the kind of students that you wanna see 
that come out that know how to use Excel, that know how to use PowerPoint, that can use a computer, can turn it on, that knows how to use a Mac or knows how to use a, a, a Lenovo or a Dell. You know, those might be basic things to you as students now, but I can tell you not everybody knows how to do that. Um, but be you, be awesome and be proactive about who you want to be. And don't be afraid to make mistakes because all of us make mistakes to become better. And, and reach out to your fellow flyers, right? Those are going to be. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carlos Stewart. Uh, uh, Carlos is, is awesome. You need to you need to definitely, definitely connect with him. Carlos is great. Carlos and I went through uh, Leadership UD together. Uh, yeah. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, th this was a, a great conversation. Uh, loved hearing your stories at UD. Loved hearing your, your career path. And, and I hope our, our audience enjoyed that as well. So uh, thanks to everybody listening in with us. I uh, hope to join us again next time. And go Flyers. Thank you. Go Flyers. Thanks for joining us for the Business Class Podcast. If you'd like to engage with us further, please follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook accounts all use the name SBA. You can also email the Dean's Office with questions or suggestions for future podcasts at sbadean at udayton.edu. No matter where you are on your career path, we are proud that you're part of our Dayton Flyer family.